You're listening to 340B Unscripted. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to 340B Unscripted. I'm Greg Wilson, and I'm here with Rob Nahoopi. Hey, Rob, how's it going? It's going well, Greg. Ready for the new year. I'm excited, and uh, here's I think this is our first episode for the year. So, yeah, let's let's get going. It's going to be a it's going to be a wild 2023, I believe. Yeah, I, I think so. We got, you know, some some news and noteworthy items that, uh, you know, just came came to light, you know, as we moved from 2022 into 2023. We've been on a break. It's been about a month or so since we've recorded our last podcast. So, you know, I think the, the one thing we wanted to chat a little bit about today before we get into the, uh, the you know, the, the main topic of conversation, which is direct orders today, uh, updated guidance from CMS related to the um, inflation rebate um, rule and use of, of modifiers. So CMS published some guidance, I think, uh, last week of 2022. And, and uh, if you haven't had a chance to look at it, uh, they're now you know, calling for all 340B covered entities to begin using either a JG or a TB modifier on separate, separately payable Part B drugs starting no later than January 1, 2024. So the end of 2022 saw big changes for hospitals that have been subject to OPPS um, payment, uh, the JG modifier no longer triggering a payment reduction, but it looks like CMS is gearing up to gather a lot more information from all 340B covered entities based on this new guidance. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's, it's, it, uh, you know, I mean, I think that's kind of letting a hand show a little bit, um, you know, the fact that they're having all covered entities do this. It does concern me that that means that we're going to start seeing, you know, if they decide to reduce payment, does that mean they're going to reduce payment to um, other covered entity types as well, like our grantees? Um, and so that's a bit scary. Now, you know, the way I think about this, though, you know, OP, uh, CMS or Medicare specifically puts out their OPPS payments kind of around the summertime, July, August, the first rule, it's usually a draft form, allows for comment, and then they put out their final rule, you know, later in Q4. So if they're going to try and change reimbursement or reduce reimbursement for 2024, it feels like we're going to see a survey, a cost survey. It's got to be here in Q1, Q2 at the early Q2 at the latest, because so, they have to get that done, then publish their OPPS row in the summer, and then finalize it kind of later on. So, you know, if with any luck, that gets delayed a little bit. And so that survey doesn't get done soon enough for them to get their draft OPPS rule out. You never know. I guess they can always edit it in between. But my feeling is, um, I guess they have an outside chance. We could see the, a reduction in payment in 2024, or they're just collecting the data in 2024 and possibly doing the payment reduction survey in 24 for 25. But yeah. definitely if they're continuing the modifiers like they are and expanding the reach of the modifiers, it feels like this is going to be something that's going to impact all covered entities with a reduction reimbursement, maybe more in line with what we saw from one of the, um, the groups that um, make recommendations to CMS about payments, about uh, possibly taking some of those savings and reallocating based on uncompensated care, which is part of the Medicare cost report. Not sure how that would work for the grantees and how they'd reallocate um, for uncompensated care there, but um, def definitely something's going on there and I'm sure they'll, they'll let us know when they're ready, um, but definitely something to think about. Um, one thing, if I could, um, I just got off the phone uh, today with uh, one of our covered entity clients, a health system, gave some good information about the repayments. So I asked, you know, we talked about uh, how's 2022 going, 
Um, they said, well, they actually have now gone back to the beginning of September. Um, they said they've been having to do credit rebuilds. So we talked about where, you know, CMS said from September 28th, moving forward through the rest of the year, they're going to just reimburse the ASP plus 6%. And it was up to the fiscal intermediaries, those MACs, to determine how they're going to pay back the rest of 2022, September 20th and back. And for them, it was repayment. But the piece they shared well, or, or re rebilling it, which takes a lot of work. They did say one of the Macs that they work with is going to do kind of the more, hey, we're going to look at what we what the difference is between what we paid you and the ASP plus six, and we're just going to pay you out. But some other Macs are having them do the, the reimbursement. But what was interesting, she said, was um, the lady I work with, and I didn't get permission to say their name, so I'm, I'm not going to mention them, but um, you know who you are if you're listening. Um, they mentioned that um, you got to remember some commercial pairs. And so some commercial payers that have um, managed Medicare plans, um, either in their contract state that you bill them like traditional Medicare, which means you have to do the, they would do the reduction in payments and the modifiers. Or the second version is if you don't have a contract with a managed Medicare plan, then by default you bill just like traditional Medicare. So in those cases, the, the, the max or the fiscal intermediaries aren't gonna be doing the reimbursement for you. You gotta work directly with each of those managed Medicare plans. So just not traditional Medicare. So if you're listening, definitely go back to your billing and identify, is that the case? Have you had that occur where you had managed Medicare, not just traditional Medicare reducing reimbursement? And the, the process for getting some of those dollars back is could possibly be different based on who their adjudicator is. So just a little plug in the organization I talked to, it's millions of dollars. And we're talking millions of dollars of missed reimbursement from Medicare and the managed care plan. So they're putting the resources in place to go after it. And so just making that recommendation to everybody, something to look at here in 2023 as uh, go get those savings. Uh, we don't know what 2023 is going to look like. A lot of health systems are running in the red. That should be a big opportunity for everyone. And um, if you're not already doing it, uh, definitely add it to the list. Yeah, great, great thought, Rob. Thanks for sharing that. Um, one other new thing for the podcast, uh, we've got a lot of great feedback from folks that have been listening to us, uh, a, lot, a lot of great thoughts and insight and suggestions on, on types of uh, topics we might want to address in the future. And we've got a long list of content that we're going to be bringing to the podcast, but we've got a, a dedicated email now. It's 340B unscripted at spendmen.com. And if you're out there and you're listening and you've got a topic that you want us to to debate, or if you've got a story from your covered entity that you really like to share uh, with our audience, feel free to, to zip us an email. It's at 340bunscripted at spendmen.com. We'd love to hear from you and hear thoughts on how we can make the, the podcast even better. All right, so let's jump into our um, topic for discussion today. I think we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back on the other side of the break, we're going to have a couple of uh, uh, Spendman colleagues that we've had on here before. We've got Curtis McIntyre, Jake Thompson. They're going to talk with us about direct orders and the intersection of direct order purchasing and procurement with 340B programs. So sit tight. We'll be back uh, in just a few moments. When purchasing pharmaceuticals, Pharmacy buyers are expected to remember which drugs are on formulary and then scroll through long convoluted lists of NDCs to find and select the correct items. The process is cumbersome, inexact, and leads to elevated costs, inefficient operations, and more. To solve this problem, SpendBend Pharmacy offers Trula, the healthcare industry's only solution that enables buyers to select the right NDC every time while saving time and greatly reducing costs. Learn about Trula at SpendMend.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back from the break. Uh, and I'd uh, like to introduce our uh, guest today. Um, we're actually welcome back our guest today. Uh, first, we have Jake Thompson um, from our, our VP of Business Development here at SpendMend. Um, always a good uh, uh, guest on the podcast to share his knowledge and expertise. And also back is Curtis McIntyre. 
um, our VP of Trula, um, uh, and uh, excited to have him back to talk about direct orders today and and how what we're seeing in the marketplace. And it just just because I have to, um, Curtis and I are both University of Utah grads. Um, and uh, if if I didn't share before, I, I got to share it. It probably embarrasses Curtis a little bit, but I'm going to do it. Um, Curtis played for the University of Utah football team. In fact, he was on the same team as Alex Smith in 04 when they when. Our team ran the table and were, was the first team to break the BCS bowl game. I apologize to anyone listening who's not into football, but if you are, you, you totally get this. And I just got to share because Curtis's nickname was C-Mac um, um, uh, when he played football. So sometimes we refer, refer to him as C-Mac. And so, like we mentioned, just want to say, so C-Mac is back on the podcast. You got to be on two episodes to be considered a veteran around here. And we could probably spin this into a college football podcast if we run out of 340B topics. What we're not going to do is talk about Ohio State beating the University of Utah last year in the Rose Bowl. We're not talking about that, Jake. Yeah. We're not. All right. We can all right, I'll, 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 We can get down to business then. Today's <laughs> a tough day anyways. The, 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 the championships are going on in a couple hours. Mm, yes, it is. Well, the, the topic of discussion today is uh, direct orders. I'm so glad to have Curtis and, and Jake with, with all their experience on here to talk about, you know, the, the I think the growing prevalence, the use of, of direct orders for, for pharmaceutical procurement. So, Curtis, let, let's maybe start with you and just kind of high level. Let's talk about the drivers that r- result in hospitals and, and providers that are buying drugs, you know, going down the pathway of, of buying pharmaceuticals directly from manufacturers. Um, you know, the economic operational drivers, I imagine drug shortages has is a big component. What, what What's leading to a greater prevalence of direct order usage in the procurement space? Yeah, well, I think you, I mean, you hit probably the big one has been drug shortages. And that's been going on for, you know, 15 plus years, um, where a lot of manufacturers just to better control the supply of certain meds, you know, they're, they, they're just saying, hey, you're going to have to get it to us directly, um, which is not super efficient for the buyers, right? Because they're having to, you know, call or email the orders in or jump from website to website. Um, so you have drug shortages. Sometimes the manufacturers, they've got short-dated products that they move and, and the wholesalers aren't going to take those. And so they'll do special deals for short-dated product. Um, other, the other scenarios are, you know, they, they want to move a lot of product at once, so they will offer bulk buys to health systems to say, hey, if you buy a six-month supply of this medication, you know, we'll give you a 15% discount, you know, as they're trying to just move product through that's been maybe more stagnant than they anticipated. Um, but I think more recently, I mean, we've seen a little bit of this where some of the manufacturers are looking at it and saying, hey, contain fees for... Um, I, I usually have a, you know, kind of a third-party logistics company that's going to stock my product and ship the product, and then they're shipping it to McKesson, Cardinal, or Amerisource Bergen, who's they're also paying to stock and ship the product and then ship it to the client. And they're looking at it and saying, hey, where can we cut some of our costs? So I think that that's what we're seeing a little bit in the industry. I mean, we've seen for, you know, decades, right, that this is ordering is through the big three, and that's how you order medications. We are seeing a little bit of a shift. You know, I think personal preferences, uh, you know, I I think the wholesalers play a very strategic role with clients and health systems. Um, You can get products, you know, same day, next day for sure. You know, they play a very strategic role, but we are seeing where both health systems and manufacturers do see that there are scenarios where it does make sense to purchase direct. Well, I think the next line of question, maybe Rob, is is for you. It's really around how... Direct orders can impact 
covered entities ability to maintain 340B compliance. So what, what are the pitfalls or the things that you know our 340B covered entities need to watch out for when they integrate direct order purchasing into their 340B program operations? Yeah, that's actually a great question. Something we've been dealing with with our covered entity clients and sharing and educating on for years. Uh, but I think Curtis is right. Um, you know, for, for better or worse, we're starting to see a shift of quite a few manufacturers going direct for various reasons. Some, some of it might be cost savings. Some of it might be just better control of their inventory or purchasing channels. But I do think it's a trend that's going to continue. Um, you know, some of it might still be mixed where you, some you might still get through the wholesaler. But you, then, you know, other times you might go direct to the manufacturer. Um, definitely drug shortages are playing into that. I, I think drug shortages are calling a, causing a lot of this. And so when you think about all those reasons, and then now we've got 340B, and I'll speak more specifically to dish hospitals, right? So if you're a grantee-type covered entity or if you're not subject to the, the GPO prohibition, not as much risk with direct orders because you can buy, you know, GPO purchase. If, if they're GPO contracted or GPO-like contracted products direct with the um, manufacturers or uh, other wholesalers, you're probably fine. You might be missing out on some savings, but you're not creating a, compl a compliance risk. The risk really comes into play with our dish hospitals or, or pediatric hospitals, cancer hospitals who are subject to the GPO prohibition. What we find in some cases is that people don't realize they're buying covered outpatient drugs from some of these um, direct order sources. And, and so what happens is, uh, you know, uh, a good example is, I'll just throw one out, there's Baxter products. Um, a lot of people think, oh, Baxter IV fluids, it's a non-covered outpatient drug, and I won't get into non-covered outpatient drug definitions, but... So a lot of people assume, okay, we should be fine, but then they forget, oh, but Baxter also makes these frozen products that we get from time to time, whether it's we're getting the cefazolins or the vancomycins or whatever. But those products do have a signed PPA. They do have a 340B price. They are covered outpatient drugs. And so if you buy all of your you know, Baxter frozen product products on a GPO Baxter account and any of that gets used on an outpatient, well, now you have a GPO prohibition violation, of course, which no one really wants to have because it's a condition for participation, could get you kicked out of the program. And so really um, having a process or working with a vendor like Trula that has access to procurement software that can make sure you buy it on the right account every single time on the right NDC, super helpful. But what makes it even worse is, um, you know, outside of FFF, which is one of the direct order vendors, most of the other vendors don't have EDI feeds. So the other issue is a purely manual process. And I think most of us learn in our career training and everything else that manual processes, although you can get it right most of the time, inherently are going to have failures every now and then. So, so one thing we've identified, we work with our covered entity clients quite a bit is have a solid process for not only making sure your buyers are um, going through, you know, how much accumulation you have on your 340B and GPO accounts, or if you have to buy in WAC, buying it appropriately. And then you have to have a, a great mechanism to decrement it, right? When do you decrement? Do you decrement it when you order it? Do you decrement it when you when it you gets in off of the packing slip? And if you do that, what happens if someone forgets to give the 340B team the packing slip to decrement? So then now you need a quality assurance process <laughs> to make sure that at the end of the month for all your directorate accounts that you received all of the purchases and manually decremented them from your TPA software. So as you kind of hear me go through the process, any one of those steps could cause a failure where you're going to use the same accumulation twice or you're not going to buy 340, you're going to buy GPO on accident. And so all these things can occur. And so, so again, I think that with, with a move to more directs and especially with drug shortages where you might go to a Fresenius Cobby or, or a Pfizer who has direct orders available, um, if there's a drug shortage, you know, how do you manage it process? I will say, and one thing to think about too, Right now, HRSA, as part of the, um, the COVID public health emergency, 
um, isn't requiring uh, covered entities to report when you, you're buying all GPO without accumulations, if you're subject to the GPO prohibition, um, report it to HRSA so that, that you're on record of, hey, I had to buy this GPO drug, I didn't have accumulation, but it was a drug shortage situation. They said through the PHE, just keep documentation, right? They didn't want to hear about all of it because imagine how much they'd hear about. So, but that PHE could be coming to an end. If there's not another PHE or that PHE extended, then we would have to start reporting again. So that's another requirement we're gonna have if you have to buy direct on GPO. So another thing to manage um, with that. So inherently direct orders just have some compliance risk that you have to worry about. And, and just from the you know the recent HRSA audits that we've supported at SpendMed, there, there clearly is a, a greater focus on purchasing processes during the HRSA audit experience. You know, you've got to provide a list of all of your accounts, including your your direct accounts. You've got to provide examples of uh, of invoices, and there's a lot of time spent during the actual HRSA audit looking and testing the accumulation and replenishment process for you know all of the drugs in your formulary, including those products that are bought off of a, a direct account. So so this is certainly something that could come into the crosshairs of a, of a HRSA audit. You know, another common debate that I, I find myself getting into with clients when we're doing our external audits is, you know, how, how the direct orders are categorized. You mentioned the Baxter Frozen. You know, I've had some covered entities say, well, you know, that's something, that's a contract that we've negotiated directly with uh, the manufacturer. So it's really not subject to the GPO definition as it relates to GPO prohibition. But if you're a, a covered entity that's part of a, a larger health system, Chances are that 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 contract's been negotiated across for for all hospitals across an organization across an enterprise and really functions as a GPO like uh, contract even though it wasn't necessarily facilitated through one of the major GPOs. So you know I think being clear on how that contract has been negotiated and, and executed with your covered entity is really important. That's a valid point. I was just on a Hearst audit call today. And um, for sure, they're asking for um, the covered entity to detail every single account, the account type, um, and which locations are using it and all those things. And so if you're subject to GPO prohibition and you don't have all those accounts set up correctly, um, mm -hmm. it's going to be very visible very fast, especially as, as, they, as they start looking at invoices for what drugs are there. So uh, definitely something everyone should be on top of um, as well. This question, I, I don't know if Curtis or Jake want to, want to take this next one, but when we're talking about um, you know the, the pharmacy buyer, and we've, we've had discussions around um, procurement in the past, but the, for those that are listening that have accountability for the drug drug budget or pharmacy supply chain operations at their organization, what what should people be looking at in terms of either automation, software, analytical tools, you know, different solutions to help them manage the complexities associated with direct purchasing? The one key thing, the one the one thing I want to remind folks is right. The vast majority of our audience, um, our clients who are buying direct, they're part of a health system. And I think that's one of the things that have driven direct buying. Certainly, it all started with what Curtis described. But as health systems have gotten bigger, central distribution hubs within them continue to be a huge hot topic and folks exploring those and expanding those. And then ones that don't have a lot of contracting that they want to go after. And so I, I say that in that when you're in your role, especially if you're at a hospital, is don't tackle this as, as an individual. It's come up with a full system plan. There's, there's probably a group of individuals at most facilities that are buying direct. And so make sure that we're working together on the solution, on what that is, um, and it's not an individual thing. And we see that on HRSA audits and mock audits, right? We want to see policy and procedure standardization that goes through. So that, that's sort of point one is, 
is make sure that like-minded folks are getting together um, to know how to accomplish this and track it to your organization. And I think two is, is you know, try, try to find a tool that fits with your workflow, right? You need a tool to be able to do this. Um, and it's not a one size fits all for every hospital and every health system um, who's doing direct purchasing. Um, you know, our vision has always been a single ordering platform at Trula. That's what we're out on and that we want you to be able to buy orders from wholesalers and directs as they need to be done um, and your central distribution network. So um, we think that's really important to be looking for is how do you take some of the waste, especially the labor waste out? in that software, in that tool to be able to help you do this? You know, how is it integrated with your TPA? How is it integrated with your um, inventory vendor? So it gets complex pretty quick to just add a simple tool because purchasing happens at such a, a large volume that uh, a little bit of waste really adds up fast. So we got to be thoughtful about um, getting the right tool. Yeah, just to, I guess, add a little more kind of context and, and color to what Jake was saying is if you think about how buyers place orders today, you know, 90% of the spend, they're going to the primary wholesaler, and then they have this long tail of 10% of their spend that's going directs and 503B vendors and these others, those orders, they're super manual. Like go watch a buyer, right? Like watch how they have to place these orders. They, It is, they're calling in orders, they're emailing, they're faxing, they're jumping from website to website. And so, you know, as you think about, okay, if direct ordering is going to become a bigger and bigger thing, well, we need better and better software to help because you can't be, that's, you know, the inefficiency and, and like Jake was saying, the waste of time and labor of just these manual processes for direct orders need to go away. And that's really what we're set out to do on the Trula side. Like Jake was saying, we want every order electronic. We want every order in one place. So a buyer can build one shopping cart and then the software is smart enough to route it. Hey, this stuff goes to, you know, the, the, the primary wholesaler. This goes direct to this manufacturer. This goes to this 503B vendor and it's all out of one shopping cart. And, and that's what we need to get to as an industry. That's what, you know, that's that's everything that Trula is built around. So, you know, it's an exciting time, I think, for pharmacy procurement when you think it has been the same for so, so long. Um, and so to be able to just kind of help you know, be a part of that, be part of the innovation, be a part of the driving better efficiencies with labor and how ordering is done. That's that's what we're excited to be uh, right in the front of it. Think about it. I mean, we're, we're, we're certainly not taking away tasks from, from our 340B and pharmacy staff, especially with the contract pharmacy restrictions. You know, staff, you know, two years ago, weren't worrying about uploading their claims data to a third party in order to, you know, recoup 340B savings. So there have been a lot of additional you know, resource strains managing the contract pharmacy side. And, and if there's any opportunity to, you know, leverage technology on your buying side, you know, I think that's, you know, the hospitals really need to be looking at that because again, we're not taking away tasks from, from these folks. We're, we're continually adding tasks as, you know, the, the complexity of, of healthcare continues to grow. For sure. And, and Robin, Robin mentioned a, a kind of a little bit earlier about just the decrements, right? The manual decrementing that has to happen. And so for our Trula procurement clients where we're integrated with their TPA, our goal is any any orders that they're sending direct where accumulations are being utilized, Trula can automatically send those decrements. Let's make that an easier process, right? Like it should not be so manual. I love that. Yeah, sorry, sorry. That's one of actually. I, I didn't even think about that, but that feature is fantastic because that is such that manual process is 
is very, it, it takes a lot of extra work. And I think it's, it's, it's a area that can go wrong. So I love the fact that you've got those EDI feeds going. It, and it, it just coming from the provider side, when, when you don't have a really, um, you know, a, a close to real time solution for decrementing those accumulations, it really does put you in a compliance risk with having inflated accumulations for a period of time. And then you maybe catch up those decrementations and now you're, you're potentially buying on whack. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the more real time you can be in terms of kind of reconciling those direct orders in your accumulator, help you not just from a compliance perspective, but also for managing your costs. Rob, if we're going to suggest one thing for covered entities to do now, if they haven't really been addressing compliance with direct orders, what, what, what do you think that, that suggestion is, that, that one big tactic that we think everybody should be looking at? I mean, I think first and foremost, if you don't already have a list of all of your purchase accounts in a spreadsheet where you're saying, okay, here's everywhere I buy from, and then you're putting 340B GPO, and if you're subject to uh, GPO prohibition, you're whack, and listing, do I have accounts for each of these? Can I purchase all three? Now, sometimes it's one account, and you just got to tell them, oh, I want it on this account. But what, But then you have a note section at the end, and you kind of put notes out there. Okay, here's what I buy. I, this is 503B, no worries. But this is covered outpatient drugs. Okay, do I have accounts and are we buying it? And then taking that list and making sure anywhere you have covered outpatient drugs um, being purchased, A, that you have either the two or three accounts that you need for your covered entity type to remain compliant and that you're utilizing them. And if you are buying 340B, that you have a good mechanism for decrement, knowing that the decrement has occurred or at minimum doing a quality assurance monthly check for all of your direct orders to make sure they got decremented. So that's what you can do today. Secondarily, I definitely recommend if, um, you know, if, if you're interested in looking at the procurement software to make it easier and automate it um, and make sure that it gets decrement every time, definitely reach out. Um, take a look at Trula. Curtis can, can hop on, give you a demo, take a look um, as well. So, um, but definitely, but if not, minimum, get that spreadsheet going, have it, keep it up to date and, and make sure you can remain compliant. You know, if you look at the HRSA data request list, I think it's 5A. It's the purchasing, um, purchasing, purchasing list. All of your accounts. I, the the HRSA audits that I've supported that ends up being one of the the deliverables for the HRSA audit data upload. That takes us the longest amount of time is tracking down each of the purchasing accounts, tracking down a sample invoice from each of those accounts, understanding where those accounts are distributing their drugs based on 340B ID. So you know, underscore the the importance of kind of preemptively getting together a list of all your accounts and really having good visibility into all of your wholesale or direct accounts. Because based on you know what Curtis and, and Jake have already shared that we think that this is going to increase over time, not decrease. All right, guys, any other comments? I think, you know, the, 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 the biggest advice I tell folks is like, just make sure your head's not in the sand, right? Like, like you've got to be thinking about direct orders. You know, drug shortages is not going away, right? This is around. And so, um, you know, I, I make it a New Year's resolution. You know, hey, I'm going to get on top of this. I'm going to start, get my account list. Hey, I'm going to make sure I set up a routine to manually decorate, whatever it is. You, you just you, you just can't make it think to go away. It's not going away. So um, that that's my challenge to folks is just just make it part of your workflow. Well, that's a good segue, Jake, because I think I wanted to end on New Year's resolutions. You know, um, now I'm not a big resolution guy myself, but I'll, I'll I'll play along here. Anybody have New Year's resolutions for the upcoming year? Curtis, let's start with you. C Mac. 
Yeah, I'm I'm really trying to cut down on the amount of pizza I eat. I eat a lot of a lot of bread, a lot of carbs. So I'm trying to be more protein based, you know, less carbs, less bread. I love bread, man. I, I could eat rolls all day long. So take me to Texas Roadhouse and just like rolls and a steak is all I need. So those yeah, rolls are fantastic though. I know. So my New Year's resolution is uh, just, yeah, less, be a little more healthy in my eating. I'm, I'm getting older. My 11-year-old son, I think his resolution is to eat more pizza. So you guys are on the opposite <laughs> end of the spectrum to there. So, you know, Jake, how about you? You know, you know, I'm trying to be more mindful. You know, we work from home. You'd think we'd be better at this than we are. But for some reason, it's harder and harder um, the more we work from home. You know, that I think I worked, I, I spent time um, reducing the hours or blocking the right hours to work from home. And that way you're physically present. And I think this year, the next step is, is okay, now how do I mentally be present as soon as I walk out the office door? Um, and then you go to bed at night, you know, after working, like catching up at night, how do I turn work off so I don't dream about it, right? So to me, it's a mental focus on mentally being in the moment. Um, I'm not sure how I'm going to solve that yet, but that's what I'm going to try to get after. Rob, what about you? I got to hear Rob, though. Yeah, I can't count how many times Jake and I are emailing at like 10, 11 o'clock at night, and Jake says, do not email me. My inbox is clear, so then I purposely email him like five times. Um, it happens more often than it probably should. Um, I think, honestly, my, I have a couple, and they're actually related, kind of like Curtis's. Um, I, I'm more of a sugar guy, and so one thing I'm trying not to do is eat any sugar after seven. Like, I'm not going to you know, cut out sugar like some people do. I don't think that's um, – it's hard for me to maintain that forever, so my thought is – if I'm going to eat it, I'm just not going to eat heavy carbs and sugar after after dinner. So after you know 7 p.m. or whatever, you know, be a little bit more mindful about what I'm eating late at night um, before I go to bed. And I, I and the other thing is kind of what Jake said. I, I think that work-life balance, but really being intentional about how I use my time. So if I, it's going to be a long work day, then it's because because there's enough on the, my plate. But then being intentional about staying focused as much as I can, so I can get it done, so I can have. Um, family time and, you know, wife time and all those things that are important, you know, me time to work out and do those things. So, but being intentional in our activities and not just kind of just going and just going with the flow, but really thinking about what, what I want my life to look like and, and how I want it to, to operate. All right, Greg, that leaves you, my friend. Yeah. So historically, I haven't been very big into the New Year's resolutions, but I, I say, you know, traveling for work and towards the end of the year last year, I had some very, you know, unfavorable travel experiences, luggage lost, you know, just the disorganization of, of uh, just flying uh, major airlines today. So I'm trying to be a little bit more thoughtful and prepared as I get ready for my travel. So I'm looking at, you know, how I'm packing bags and looking at how I'm kind of gearing up for life on the road to make uh, the the pain of being out and about a little, uh, a little more bearable, I guess. So We'll see. Greg, that's ironic because today came in the mail. Um, I got some the Apple Air Tags, and I, I'm thinking of you right now for your lost luggage. Get get you some of these, put them in there. Yep. Look, yeah, there's Rob too. So I lost my wallet over break, and so um, I'm paying hefty price for not having implemented this Air Tag system um, prior. So yeah, um, yeah there's a there's, we, we're not getting an Apple shout out here for paid ads, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm told they work well. Paid ads. Your bag trackers are on my list, you know, go bag for, 
you know, electronics. And I, you know, I always worry. I was at, I have this, you know, this, this moment of panic every time I, lo- I get onto a plane that I didn't put my laptop in my bag and I'm going to show up at an audit without my laptop. And I, that, that hasn't happened yet. And I probably check it five times before I walk out the door, maybe more. Um, but I still have that quick panic flare as soon as I sit down on the plane. Oh my gosh, my laptop's not in my bag. So if I can be a little bit more organized as I get ready for these, these work trips, uh, it'll probably serve me well. Awesome. All right, Curtis, Jake, thanks for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you guys on the on the on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Enjoy it. Right. Always do. You guys do a good job. Keep it up, Greg and Rob. Thank you. We'll be on again. And again, thanks everyone for listening. Don't forget to send us an email at 340B unscripted at spendmen.com if you've got a topic you want us to cover, if you want to come and chat with me and Rob. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to 340B Unscripted. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.